Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at IPA and your host for this episode. Today's episode features a conversation with Alana Pruce about her book, Recast Your City, How to Save Your Downtown with Small-Scale Manufacturing. Released by Island Press in June 2021, the book explains how local leaders can revitalize their downtowns by supporting small-scale manufacturing. Alana's passion for great places grew out of her experience working with big and small cities all over the country when she led the technical assistance program at the US EPA Smart Growth Program and was the vice president and chief of staff at Smart Growth America. She's the founder and CEO of Recast City, a firm that works with local leaders to create great places that build energy, increase the number of good paying jobs, fill storefronts, and make people proud of where they're from. Alana and I spoke on June 2nd, 2021. We covered the value of small scale manufacturing for economies of all sizes, the five-step method she prescribes for community revitalization, and her thoughts on economic recovery opportunities for small towns and cities nationwide. Let's get to the conversation. So thanks, Alana, for taking time to join me today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So I'm really excited to talk to you about your new book and kind of in the context of economic development challenges facing small communities in America before we get into kind of a broader discussion about economic development in the book, could you talk a little bit about what you mean by small-scale manufacturing? What's kind of the range of things you have in mind? Absolutely. Small-scale manufacturing. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Small-scale manufacturing um, is a group of businesses that make a tangible product that you can replicate or package. So my shorthand for it is hot sauce, handbags, or hardware. And it's every kind of business that's food production, uh, artisan products for consumers, um, advanced manufacturing. So it's this whole group of businesses that have never really gotten attention from our economic development world or from local leadership, yet are this wealth of job creation and community pride and are also these amazing businesses that fill all of our vacant storefronts. And you know, you saw the value, your, you and your consulting firm saw the value of small-scale manufacturing before the pandemic. It's interesting to kind of look back pre-pandemic and think about, you know, what we were focused on and what we were kind of concerned about. And I guess over the last year, like looking at the pandemic from an urban planning point of view and economic development point of view, there's been a lot of uncertainty cast on like what things should we focus on coming out of the pandemic. There's been acceleration of e-commerce evidenced by the wealth of Amazon and Amazon-like vehicles on our streets. There's been remote work and you know, questions about what the return to in-person work might look like. And then kind of potential shifts in long-term and short-term and kind of what travel and leisure looks like. So you were focused on the small-scale manufacturing as kind of an opportunity for communities pre-pandemic. You must be reasonably certain it's still going to be an important tool for communities coming out of it, or you wouldn't have gone forward with a book. So what makes you kind of certain enough in this kind of uncertain environment? Well, small-scale manufacturing businesses were a growing business sector well before the pandemic. They are an outgrowth to some degree of the maker movement that has grown in popularity over the last couple of decades. But they're also an outgrowth of the skills that people have in small cities and towns all over the country. 
people know how to make stuff. And at the most basic level, when you see people in your community selling the things that they've made, people are so proud of that. And so the whole ability to rebuild community pride, which a lot of our small cities and towns have honestly lost over the last bunch of years, we can work with this business community to, to rebuild that. And honestly, before even before the pandemic, we had a lot of vacant properties, a lot of vacant storefronts, particularly in our smaller cities and towns. Um, we have a few cities that are very hot markets, and we have a lot of places that are not hot markets. And so these businesses, even before the pandemic, could be in a storefront, produce their product in that storefront, and also sell online. The pandemic just accelerated all of this. It means that so much more is being done online. It's not just buying things online, which we're doing increasingly amounts of. We're also doing trainings online and ac- accessing resources online. And we have even more vacant storefronts because of the impact of the pandemic on so many of our communities. And so the need both to fill those storefronts and for a viable business option that is nimble, that can both sell online and in person as a natural sort of um, inherent form of the business becomes increasingly important. And then when we look at small scale manufacturing, it doesn't require a college or advanced degree. So it's a type of business that is accessible no matter where you live accessible no matter how many years of education you have, and is present in every different part of our population. And so it very quickly becomes a way for us to build an inclusive and equitable community of business owners, um, which honestly, most communities have struggled to do in the past. And so when we go out into the community and when we find small-scale manufacturers, we can very purposefully and intentionally from the beginning build a community of business owners that represents the demographic diversity of our community and invest in a different way that's reaching more people. And that takes me to kind of the next topic I want to talk about, which is, you know, when we hear about the new normal or building back better, whatever terminology you want to use, it kind of suggests something flawed uh, in how we were approaching certain things in our communities, like economic development, which I think you, you make a case in the book that you know, it kind of missed the mark historically in our communities. And I wonder if you could give us a sense of your view on what's kind of missing from those approaches. And I think you started to hit on some of the things you might have in mind. So in many places, our economic development strategies are really left over from 40, 50 years ago. And it's it's really, um, honestly, it's sad because what it does is it neglects a lot of the people who live in that place. So. In, in Recast Your City, I talk a lot about really needing to pursue a new approach. And honestly, this is an approach that a lot of local economic development leaders are starting to pursue, but it's not necessarily the dominant thinking, or it wasn't the dominant thinking, I would say, before the pandemic. I think a lot more people have realized the need for this since the pandemic. And so, you know, talking about that we need to approach local economic and community development really differently to reach different outcomes. And we need to focus on growing our own local businesses, finding people who are business owners, helping more people to become business owners, growing the ones that are in our community, instead of only focusing on attraction and recruitment, which is what most communities do. So we need to invest in the people in, in our community and their skills, especially people who like to make stuff, but that there are so many amazing talents and skills within our community and that will never leave, right? That want to be a part of our community, that have deep roots, and that we can, when we can invest in them and their businesses, 
they're going to hire from within our community. They're going to grow within our community. And that we also need to invest in the places that true economic development is really not just about the business or the job, but it's about where it goes. And that we need to invest in the downtown, in our neighborhood centers, the places where people can come together now safely again and create affordable and in good state of repair spaces for our businesses, for our neighborhood businesses to be able to be out front. And so that, you know, notion of kind of being more organic in the approach to economic development, investing in place, investing in the people that live in those places. How do towns get started? You know, what's the continuum of steps you have in mind? So the Reach Out City method, the five-step process, and it is all outlined in, in wonderful description in the book. And it is based on um, the work that I've done in community development all over the country for a couple of decades, specifically about our work with communities through Recast City um, over the last six years, almost seven years now. And it is focused on finding out what people need and what business owners need and not starting with assuming that we know what they need. And what it does, and, and the work is really based on a lot of uh, on a user research techniques out of the tech sector, to go and have a discovery phase that where we get to ask people what works and what doesn't work and really tailor our solutions in a very specific way that's de-risking our investments in a way that's really going to make change happen very quickly because we know what outcome we want to achieve, who should benefit from it, and specifically what are their needs. And we're answering those needs in detail. So there's five steps. Um, the first step is, is uh, really about understanding outcomes um, and who should benefit. The second step is, is about finding these small-scale manufacturers um, and other people I call connectors, um, the people in our community who believe in our community and in our future from all of our different populations who know people and can be a part of helping us find more small-scale manufacturers who maybe never had access to these resources in the past. And then there's a step to interview and have conversations with people. Step four is all about analyzing that input and understanding what it means, understanding what those assets are that we can build on quickly and what are the most important gaps that we have to address based on those outcomes we identified at the beginning. And then all about implementation. Um, the last step is not about having a plan, but it's about acting on it. So a lot of our work is really focused on helping communities come up with actions that they can implement in the next three to 12 months. I don't want people to feel like they have to wait a long time to make something happen. People are, are so in need of help right now, we can't wait. And so we really focus on solutions for communities that they can pick up and run with within the next three to 12 months so that people can see these wins, see these actions making a difference now, and then be able to work on the bigger, harder things for the long term. And you don't have to dig too hard in your memory banks to think about, when I think about places, I usually think about small scale businesses that I can identify with those places. The, the bakery that made kind of a regional delicacy or, you know, the microbrewery that started in your hometown that kind of reshaped the downtown in those areas. And I wonder in your, you know, maybe places you grew up in or lived or visited, but also in your consulting work, what are some success stories that you've seen that have taken this small-scale manufacturing approach to really uh, revitalize the downtown area? Oh, there's, there's some wonderful examples. Um, when I just finished a project a couple months ago in Bellflower, California, 
and they um, in their downtown already they have a woman who has a, a who's a fashion designer and fabricator, and she does her own fashion line and she teaches other people how to do it and she does the fabrication on site and she wants to bring in other designers who have their shops in trucks like food trucks but in but fashion because it's the LA region and you can do anything out there. You know, I met her and she just had so much energy and so much enthusiasm for not only the city where she was based and why she chose to locate in that city, but also because of all of these ideas of how she's not only in a storefront already, but growing her capacity and growing her business in that community. So people like that are, they're businesses that define a downtown, right? People will come to that community just to be a part of that woman's circle. And it's businesses like that that really make a difference because she's not just dependent on foot traffic. She has multiple forms of revenue coming into her business, which allows her to be nimble, depending on what's going on in the economy, in the community. Um, the same thing with some of these restaurants. So in the same community, there's a, a barbecue shop um, that had moved closer into downtown and was outfitting a new place. And in his outfitting of a new place was also putting in a bottling line because he wanted to start producing his barbecue sauce and selling jars of the barbecue sauce, not only on site, but doing distribution of it, right? And that all of a sudden turns them into small scale manufacturing. And so people are thinking incredibly creatively about not only how to use their space, but how to make their business just that more nimble and resilient, given what we've all just survived. And South Bend, Indiana, we did some really exciting work with them and, and helped them launch a program called Scaling Up South Bend, where they are, the city is in fact funding training for existing product businesses, a cohort of existing product businesses, and sub providing subsidized space. So this is something that a small town or a small city could do on a much smaller scale. You could take five or 10 businesses in a year and make an enormous difference on your, your small main street and in your local economy. And so there's, there's just wonderful examples that you can scale bigger or smaller, depending on what you have in your community. And you mentioned a word there a couple of times in the last couple of minutes, scale and scalable, that I think is sometimes the strike against small businesses. People think of small businesses as that's just the mom, pa store that's never going to be more than five people. But you're, you're saying, I mean, just because they're small scale doesn't mean you can't scale the manufacturing business and be bigger. An IPO doesn't have to be outcome, but can it be much bigger? You can have much more, you know, many product lines, for example. Right. You can. And, and a lot of people will get to make, make get to a point where they don't want to grow more. But there's a whole world of businesses that are between solo entrepreneurs, one person businesses up to 20 that have a capacity to grow and add five jobs, 10 jobs, 20 jobs. And those are jobs that are going to be good paying jobs. We have a huge wealth gap in our country. If we want to address the wealth gap, we have to create more good paying jobs. These businesses create more good paying jobs and they're not going to leave the community. So, and they're going to employ our neighbors, right? There's all of these wonderful benefits to these businesses. And so I think it's important to think about, and this is why we always start with this, is what's the outcome we're trying to achieve and who should benefit from it? And honestly, that's almost the hardest part of the whole conversation for local leaders is saying, being willing to have this conversation to say, who should benefit? And the question I always ask is, well, who hasn't benefited in the past that we might need to make sure is benefiting now? Yeah, and that takes me to eventually I'll stop asking questions about the new normal. But now I feel like I always have to ask a question about the new normal. And 
my view is it's it's not just going to happen for communities. I mean, it could you could do nothing and it'll kind of be forced on you. But there is some opportunity to make some conscious investments at big scales and small scales that are kind of going to shape the future of our communities. And just looking at one opportunity, the American Rescue Act is an example of something that small towns, many in Delaware, are going to have more discretionary funds, even with guidelines and restrictions than they typically have on an annual basis. And I guess with your model in mind, with the model of thinking through like who should benefit from investments we make in economic development, what would be some advice you would provide to small towns in Delaware or elsewhere to kind of best leverage these investment opportunities? I think the American Rescue Plan is, is a transformational opportunity. I really do. Um, it, it's putting funding directly into local government's hands in a way that gives them an opportunity. If they're willing to be forward thinking, it gives them an opportunity to say, how do I create a new economy for my community? One that's inclusive, one that's equitable, one that benefits more people who live here. And be willing to wrap their heads around how to get there. Because there are answers, right? I'm, I'm one answer, the work that we do with small-scale manufacturing. There's a lot of other answers out there. But we have this opportunity, if we pursue the right next step, to create more good-paying jobs, to create new business growth, to invest in our small-town main streets that have historically struggled, and really create almost a perpetual economic engine for our community by investing differently. And so I'm very excited about um the funding that already went out in the American Rescue Plan. And, and I'm hoping that local leaders really see it as not just how do we fill some of the gaps from last year, but really how are we building in an inclusive way for the future. And for towns that don't have programs on economic development, which is most towns in Delaware, because there's, you know, smaller than that kind of magic 2000 size what kind of, you know, how can they think about using some of these funds for economic development? If it's not for, you know, building a new road to an industrial park, if it's for something kind of different than what wasn't on the table before. Look, I don't think, I think for smaller towns, you don't have to have a big economic development program. You just have to think about that same question. Who should benefit? What am I trying to, what is the outcome I'm trying to create? If you want to have a main street that is filled, you know, and people are walking around evenings and weekends that attracts people maybe instead of driving through to stop for a little while. You know, I, I believe that we build the places for our own community and we create a great place for our community. Other people will notice and come by. And that we have to think about, you know, the retail market has completely changed. You're not going to get the big chain store. They don't want to be in a place that has lots of vacancy in a small town. You're not going to be, you're going to be competing with really big markets and you're competing with online. So then the question is, what do you have locally that can fill those storefronts to make, to build energy in a place that might just be a pass-through right now? And so there's a lot of different ways to get there. But I think that there's some really, really straightforward things like, do you have a farmer's market? Can you add artisans to your farmer's market so that they have more opportunity? Do you have training that helps people go from a market business to an online business? But you have to start with talking to the people who have those businesses in the community. And that's why we never, I never say like, here's the, here's the four things everybody can do. You need to talk to the small scale manufacturers and the producers in your community to understand what are their biggest barriers? What's most challenging for them? 
and what works for them because we can build on those things very quickly. In general, there's going to be three main categories that we need to look at. One is, is there business development support of some kind, both for startups and for scaling up businesses? Two, is there space for these businesses, both as startups and as they scale on Main Street in downtown? Small-scale manufacturing generally is going to need less than 2,000 square feet. They don't want to be in the industrial park. They want to be around other people. And most of them, especially the ones that are consumer-facing, would be very happy to have a retail frontage with, with production behind it. And the third one is capital. And that one obviously is the most challenging. But is there a small, is there a micro-grant program that you can create that helps people get into those spaces, um, that helps people get a new piece of equipment if that's what they need, or to invest in a shared space? Um, that might make a big difference for folks. We've talked about communities as kind of singular things that, you know, here's a community and there's a community down the street, but what do you, what's your sense of regional opportunities or have you worked with kind of consortiums of communities in the past? So the communities that I'm working with in, in Southern Indiana are all in the same region and it's the regional economic development organization that actually pulled them together to be a part of this cohort and this co-funding it with the community. So I think there is a great recognition when a number of counties can come together. I know Delaware is, is a number of counties, but you, to be able to get together and say, this is a form of economic development that's really important. We know, we recognize you will not necessarily have the resources to get there all, all on your own. Let's partner, right? And I think from a regional perspective, being able to be a convener and a co-funder for some of this work can make a really big difference so that each small town that of leadership doesn't have to go hunt down answers on their own. So back to the book to close, who do you want to, to pick it up? And when they read it and they apply it, what would successful outcomes look like to you in one year, five years, 10 years? What's that look like to you? So the book, Recast Your City, How to Save Your Downtown with Small-Scale Manufacturing is aimed at local leadership. Mayors, local staff, people in the economic development field in chambers or uh, main street managers or downtown development authorities, city council members. It is written in a super accessible language. Um, it has princess bride jokes in it and everything. Um, I figured if I had to write it, it had to entertain me while I, while I was writing it too. And it is really a DIY hands-on book uh, to help communities not understand why this is an important change to make in our economic development, what a new path forward looks like in the world of economic development for our communities, and then how do you do it? And the book actually comes with access to a set of, uh, with a workbook that you can download, really so you can get into the nitty gritty of it with your own team. So what does success look like? Wow, success looks like that um, communities across the country have made a dominant decision to change how they do economic development. They're investing in people and the places in the community. They're growing small businesses of all different types as the predominant investment and um, working directly with both business owners and property owners in the community and to make sure that comes together in downtown, including small scale manufacturing. That sounds successful to me. Uh, and I, you know, I certainly wish you a lot of success with the book. And I hope that, you know, we see progress on that vision you have in mind. And I certainly appreciate you taking time today to speak with me. My pleasure. 
book Recast Your City is available for purchase at Amazon and other major booksellers. And you can use the promo code RECAST to save 20% at islandpress.org. For more information on the book and Alana's work on community and economic revitalization, visit recastcity.com. For more information on the Institute for Public Administration, visit ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for tuning into this episode of First State Insights. Reach out with comments and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. I hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you.